Psalm 25. And as you're turning there, um, this is a Psalm of David. David's wrestling, wrestling with struggles of life, difficulty, and opposition, as well as him evaluating his own sin as he's working through these things. Um, some say that he, was, he wrote this song in the struggles with Absalom. Some say he wrote this psalm in the struggles with uh, King Saul pursuing him. We really don't know. It's, it's not clear on that. Um, he, he was writing this out of struggle and hardship. Um, this psalm is also referred in literary style as an acrostic, which is they take the Hebrew alphabet and they begin each line with a letter of that. The uniqueness of this one is that there are certain lines where they skip a letter, or David skips a letter for whatever reason. And the reason I bring that out is not because it has any particular theological value other than this. I so appreciate the humanity of the scriptures. And what I mean by that is God used normal human beings to use, using literary styles under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring forth his, his word. Holy and inerrant. And that's just like the living word. The Lord Jesus Christ is distinctly, he is distinctly divine. He is God. And yet, in the incarnation, he is distinctly human. The living word is, is like the word of God. And I, I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the fact that this book is living and active. It is divine. And yet God used people. Because that gives me hope. That gives me hope as I have the chance to be used by him. And so that's the reason I, I, I bring that out in the uniqueness of, again, just appreciating the human and yet divine artistry of the scriptures. So Psalm 25 begins, Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, his inst he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love, and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall, offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's just pause and ask God to help us now. Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the wonder of, of what it is. The fact that it communicates to us who you are and how to have relationship with us, with you. That you used human beings. And that you, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, bore them along and using their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their unique writing styles and personalities, you... you you brought forth the word of God. It is a wondrous thing. And then, Father, now as we come to the preaching part of our worship service, I'm reminded of the fact that you would use, again, frail human beings to communicate your word. And so I ask for giftedness and empowerment through you, Holy Spirit. That might be a blessing to your people and might bring glory to you, the Almighty God. So help us now, build us up in the great faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so this is a psalm by David. We see that he has, he's experiencing turmoil and hardship through this, but also evaluating his own sin. And so my first point here is that he cries out to God as a source of salvation. God is the source of salvation. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. When you come into struggles, when you come into hardships, when you fall into sin, where do you go? Do you turn instantly right away to the Almighty? Do you go right away to God and cry out to Him? This idea of I lift up my soul, it reflects dependence, but it's also, in a sense, an act of worship because he's realizing and acknowledging that God's the only one who can do anything about it. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 14, uses this similar construction of lifting up. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. 
And there is an act of worship when we cry out to God in our distress, in our time of trouble, because we're acknowledging he's the only one that we can ultimately go to. And we don't often think of that in our time of trials and hardships and struggle. But God's the only one that can do anything about it. He's the only one who can take care of our problems. And so I do, I want to implore of you that when you struggle, when you face hardships, when you're struggling with your sin, cry out to God, lift up your soul to him. Again, this is both an act of worship and dependence upon who God is. And here in the Psalm, David is going to him because there is also this fact that he's been proven, that God has proven himself. And again, that's why he worships him. He depends upon him. Oh, my God, and you I trust. And see, it is God who has proven himself and come to us first. 1 John chapter 4.10 communicates this. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That God came to us. He pursued us. He took care of the problem for us. And David has experienced that and in this time of struggle and hardship that he's going through, he cries out. He lifts up his soul to God. He puts his trust in him. He is trusting the trustworthy one. Micah chapter 7 verse 7. Micah says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Is that where you go again when, not to belabor it, but to stress it? Is that where I go? When I face trouble and hardship and struggles and frustrations, is that my heart's desire to go to my God? The one who sought me out? The one who loved me first? The one who I have seen prove himself over and over? That should be the source of our salvation and we should cry out to him. And then we see a concern. As he cries out to God, we see a concern from in verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. There's a concern. He doesn't want to be put to shame. He doesn't want to be put by shame by his enemies. Thus, he expectantly looks to the Lord, waits on God for the deliverance or salvation from his enemies. Knowing that as it says, they shall be ashamed who want, are wantonly treacherous. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. And so there is that. We have to turn our face. We have to look to God. We have to wait upon him and trust him in the time of our concern. 
And that ought to be a concern for us as child of children of God that we do not want to be put to shame. We want to represent the name of the Lord well. We want to walk in his ways. We want to honor him. Continuing on then, we look at God's mercy and steadfast love, for they are of old, as he, he will say. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so as we come into those times of concern and trouble and hardship, we should wait upon the Lord. Trusting him. And thus being committed to him. Having a commitment to him because of his great commitment to us. Verse 4 makes, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. He then appeals to God in his word. He knows that's how he knows him. That's his strength, his source of encouragement. And he goes to the word of God. And oh, that we as children of God would be committed to the word of God. And that's what David does here. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. That we would go to God, we would know his ways, we would know his truth. We would ask him to teach us. Why? Because of his great mercy, his steadfast love. Thinking of that, of not wanting to be ashamed. I don't know how many of you participated in Awana as kids, but 2 Timothy 2.15, this is in the ESV, so it's a little different than I learned it from the King James, but do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If we don't want to be ashamed as we walk through this life and as we come and deal with the problems of this life and the things that we face, we have to be people of the word of God, rightly, accurately dividing the word of truth. That word there for rightly, accurately is actually a seamstress term. My, my, my grandma was a master seamstress. Um, she was an immigrant from England. And that's what she did all the days of, of her life as I knew her. As there was always that sewing machine and, and it was always going. And, uh, and yet to be a, a good seamstress, you have to cut straight for those pieces of cloth to come together. And we need to do that as we look at the word of God, rightly, accurately handling it, asking God to do what David said here, lead me in your truth and teach me. Teach me. That we would allow him to work in our lives through his word. 
And then the, the commemoration, the remembering of who God is and what he's done. And here in 6 and 7, we actually have a, another little literary form. There's actually a chiastic here. He goes from mercy to steadfast love to the sins and transgression to steadfast love to goodness. As he works this little section here. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Not in poetic form, but in content of what he's, he's saying here. I, I'm mindful of what John writes in, in 1 John chapter 2. I, I love the book of 1 John and there's a grandfatherly caring sense to that book. And in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. That statement there is a statement for all who are God's children. Do not forget that your sins are forgiven, what, for his namesake. Then he says, I write to you, fathers, those who are aged in the faith, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, and this children is different than the little children were used first. In verse 12, it's, it's actually communicating towards that spiritual youthfulness or immaturity, the newness of life. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And again, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It is because of God's great love, his mercy. Remembering not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, regardless of where you're at in the faith journey, God's love is steadfast. His mercy is sure. And we can go to him and ask him to not remember our sins, to forgive us of our sins. David here, he's appealing not to his goodness or his good works, but to God and his goodness and his good works. And that's what we have got to do as well. Because in and of ourselves, there is nothing good that we can do. We have to cling to God and his goodness as we cry out in the source of our salvation. He's also the standard of our salvation. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. And I'm mindful of Pastor Jess last week. Quoting from The Mandalorian, a Star Wars TV or project, if you don't know that, about this is the way. But Romans 5, 1 through 4, as, as Pastor Jess has preached, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith and to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the in hope of the glory of God. And then where David's at here, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This is the way for the child of God and to be led in that, knowing, as David says here, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. And he looks to the person of who God is. Listen to these things that it says about God um, through these next verses. First of all, we see good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Those who keep his covenant and his testimonies for your name's sake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt for his great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in the well-being in his and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Look to the person of who God is. And again, if you really want to know who God is, you have to do what? You have to spend time reading the scriptures. You have to spend time seeing who he is. The scriptures have been referred to as the love letter of God. See how great and wonderful God is. See who he is as God the Father. See who he is as God the Son. See who he is as God the Holy Spirit and how God is communicating himself to us and how to have relationship with us, and that he wants to. It is not ritual, it is relationship with the almighty God. And he's also trusting then in the work that God does. It's God who's going to instruct sinners in the way. It's God who's going to lead them in what is right. It's God who's going to teach him the humble. Teach the humble his way. It's God who has given the covenant. It's God's testimony. It's God who pardons guilt. It's God who instructs. As we look through this section, it's God then who will pluck his feet out of the net. It's God's work alone. And alone, he is the one capable of doing all these things. Why would we not cry out to him as David began? Why would we not lift up our soul? In verse 11, David acknowledges that it is God who forgives sin. And he's acknowledging him as well in this section as a covenant-keeping God. And he's referring back to and acknowledging The word of God, what it says in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the Lord passes before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? David's acknowledging it is God and God alone who forgives sin. And that God is that covenant-keeping God. Thus he's proved himself. And David, seeing that proving in his own life, and he cries out to him. My eyes are ever towards the Lord. Verse 15. I'm not there yet. I don't know I can truly say that my eyes are ever toward the Lord. I desire that. And I'm thankful that David wrote that. That I want to be a person who my eyes are ever towards the Lord. Ever trusting him. That our, our dependence is bound up in who God is and what he's done. As pastors just quoted, this is the way. The net there is a picture, and, and my mind goes to what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, where, where Solomon's rem- challenging his son not to take up with those who, who are evil and wretched. And it talks about how they, they cast out the net as though a net before the birds. It's so obvious. And he's acknowledging that it's God who will pluck his feet out of that net, whether it be those that are trying to bring harm and ill towards him, the enemies, or the enemy, Satan, who desires to cause us to fall into sin and temptation and transgress God in his law. Sin, whether it be secret, private, Really, when we look at it and think about that of your own life, it's really ridiculously out in the open. Even those private sins that I commit, the temptation, the struggle, it's like that net cast out before the birds. I know it's ridiculous. And yet at times I give in. And that's why it's so crucial that we be like David and that we cry out to God and that we seek his word and ask him to teach us. And that as Paul writes about in Ephesians, he talks about that light, the light of the words shining into the darkness. And oh, that we would let the light of God's word. And Psalm 119 talks about that again, that word of God being that lamp, that light to our feet and our path. Child of God, you've got to let the light of God shine in your life. You've got to let the light of God's word shine in on your life. Exposing that. Because there really is a ridiculousness as we look at sin. Because of what God's done. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning verse 12. Therefore, let the one thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Those are challenging words. To know that God has always provided a way of escape. Aaron, stop thinking that. Go grab your Bible and read. And stop thinking about that. Aaron, close your mouth and don't say that stupid, hurtful thing. God has given a way of escape. And yet James warns us. In James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial when he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life. That's what David's here, looking to the one who is the giver of life. Which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Oh, that we would look at sin and temptation that way. And I so appreciate that David here in the psalm, as he's going through hardship, there are those that want to see him be put to shame. He deals with his own sin. He goes to God asking him to help him. And thus he looks to the substance of his salvation. He's asking for then the defense from God. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. There should be a conflict within us as we think about our sin. And so he appeals for defense and help from his own sin, but also from this struggle from without. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And it's clear that we are in a battle on this earth. There is a struggle. And whether it be people or whether it be the effects of sin through disease and suffering that way or the falling apart of our bodies, we face all kinds of struggles and hardships because of sin. We need to look to the one who can deliver us. We need to look to the one who will give us strength to stand. We need to look to the one who will help us to be faithful. A similar thought is conveyed in Psalm 54. <clears throat> Psalm 54 to the choir master with the stringed instruments, a mascal of David. Again, it's David writing with, with the, uh, when the Zephites went and told Saul, it is not, is not David hiding among us. And David writes, O oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to my words, to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. 
They do not set a God before themselves. Well, they do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. We need to look to God for our defense and our deliverance from our enemies, but also from our own sin. And he's seeking that covenantal promise as well. Redeem Israel, O God, out of troubles. Again, it's all bound up in the person, excuse me, and the work of who God is. But look what he says there in verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. I wait for I wait for you. To live with integrity and uprightness. To be people of God's word. People who know him and walk in his way. People who confess our sin. That we would be those kinds of people. That even though we're going to have those that are going to bring persecution against us, Those struggles, as we struggle through the effects of sin and our own sin, that we would be like David, that we would go to God and ask him to change us and to help us, that we would wait for the Lord, that we would wait upon him. Second Peter, Peter challenges us with this as he's, communicated about the day of Lord of the Lord that will come and the destruction of the earth by fire. And in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as... As salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and, under, and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do with other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with, their, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul is writing to the elders, or he's with the elders at Ephesus, at the church of Ephesus, and he's encouraging them and challenging them that there are going to be those as though wolves coming and challenging the, the elders to take care of and protect the sheep, to stand firm in their faith, to guard against sin, and to be faithful to the teaching of the word of God. 
And that's why that is one of the benedictions we use on a regular basis. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then finally, in the book of Jude, again, the similar thought and a place where we've used, again, for many of our benedictions. Jude, verse 7, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. As I close looking at this Psalm of David, We are. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have hardships. There are going to be those who do not like that we stand in the name of Jesus Christ. If you truly live for Jesus, you will face opposition. And yet, what does David do? He cries out. He cries out to the source of his salvation. Oh, that we would cry out to our God because he is our hope. He is the standard that we would lift up our soul to him and we would trust him. He is the substance of our salvation. It is him who is able to deliver us and defend us. And he is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful to his word and promise. And I want to challenge you that are children of God to dive into his word. Oh, we love it more and more. He's proved himself. He is trustworthy. That we would look to our great God. And I want to challenge you, if you are here that have never cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, cry out to him and lift up, as David said, lift up my soul. Because your soul cannot be saved. Your sins cannot be forgiven unless you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And accept what he has done through the death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf for your sins. So cry out to God. Seek him through his word. Keep confronting your sin and trust in the Lord. May God help us to do this. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant David. And I ask that you would help all of us. Father, we're going to walk through trials and temptation and sin We're going to walk through this life with the effects of sin. 
as it wages war on our body and the different things that the evil one would throw at us, we are gonna, we're going to face hardship because of people that reject who Jesus is. Help us to stand strong in Christ. Help us to cry out and lift our souls up to you because you are the one who is trustworthy. Help us to confess our sins to you. And help us to be people that ask of you, teach us, O God. And that as we ask that, we actually dive into our Bibles. And allow you to change our, change our lives and make us more like Christ. And help us to walk with integrity and thus to not be ashamed. Help us to do that. As we wait for, as David said, the restoration of Israel, but the time when you come, Lord Jesus. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So I ask these things in your name. Amen.